Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tung. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. and I'm your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I'm delighted to welcome to the show today Paul D. Burley, who has written a prodigious book, The Sacred Sphere, a 500-page book that contains all of the answers, I believe, if only you're prepared to spend some time in the incredible depth and detail that uh, Paul has gone into. So first of all, Paul, welcome to the show and congratulations on the book. Thank you, Peter. Uh, I'm glad to be with you today. We've got a lot of uh, information that we want to try and get through today, but I do want to, to ask you to, to explain to our listeners something I like most of my guests to do, which is to talk a little bit about how your awakening experience unfolded for you. Well, back in, in uh, 2003, I was uh, hiking in the, in the mountains of uh, east-central Wyoming and came upon a, a Native American medicine wheel at an elevation of over 10,000 feet, and I thought that was curious, uh, and it turns out to be the, the highest elevation of any medicine wheel that's uh, been encountered to date, and I was wondering who built it, why at this location that would only be accept, accessible for a couple of months out of the year and what the symbolism of this circular structure meant. And I pondered on that for, for quite some time and reported the, the site as a sacred site to the state archaeologist office and, and wrote a couple papers based on some research that I did on, on Native American medicine wheels and my own uh, field studies and uh, came upon some, some tremendous realizations regarding this particular wheel in, amongst uh, some others across the, the northern plains of the United States. But four years later, in 2007, um, I'm an engineer and a geologist and, and, and quite conservative in my, in, in my work, uh, but I was on a vacation in the state of Washington, and I was doing some uh, mountaineering and some glacier work on Mount Baker, and... Uh, had a vision at that time, first vision, anything uh, like that uh, that I had ever experienced. And I was basically told to pay attention and listen. That was the, the bottom line of this vision to me. 
And so I took that to heart, uh, continued to keep an uh, open mind and an open heart and listen to the world around me. And uh, ultimately, uh, what came out of that is this book, The Sacred Sphere, and discussing not only Native American symbolism and these medicine wheels that first turned me towards this type of study, but also addressing the symbolism worldwide and universal, as it turns out, uh, as you might note in the second part of the book. So it's been an extremely interesting journey so far, and I think uh, I'll, I'll be remaining on it for the rest of the rest of my life. I just uh, am thrilled to have the opportunity to discuss this work because it pertains to, to everyone in the times that we're living in. So, Paul, there's a couple of points there. I love all the synchronicities that happen, and I also love it when engineers and geologists get their wake-up call. That's great news. But I can actually see Mount Baker from where where we live in Victoria. I can certainly say it has changed my life, and I could not be happier. Isn't that great? And I was just saying, we we actually can see Mount Baker from where we live in Victoria. Uh, We know it's a beautiful day when we can see Mount Baker highlighted in our, our eastern backdrop. It's just a fantastic, beautiful mountain. It is a beautiful climb as well, and to be on ice and to to experience not only the place but to realize the geological time uh, uh, that is occurring with the ice and the rock and the clouds above and the the wildlife that passes by, and when you're up at seven eight thousand feet there, it is miraculous. It really is. So, give our listeners a little bit of an overview of the general theme of of the book, The Sacred Sphere. Well, the first half of the book discusses the, uh, my findings uh, concerning what turned out to be, uh, for this particular medicine wheel in Wyoming, uh, associated with the Lakota tribe that uh, currently lives on a number of reservations, uh, for the most part, in, in South Dakota. And uh, I dis- I, the major finding that I had regarding this wheel and others is that this wheel represents the west direction uh, per the mythology, which is uh, which the Lakota regard as the true history of, of the people. And in the mythology, they discuss the, the Bear Butte being situated near the, the Black Hills as being the center of the world, and the wind came down, and, and Bear Butte was the lodge of the wind. And the four sons of the wind set out to set the four cardinal directions. The the medicine wheel that I discovered in the Bighorn Mountains uh, of Wyoming is that setting physically and actually of that west direction. And similarly, there are locations to the north, due east, and south of Bear Butte. What the mythology is describing is very important from an intellectual, physical, emotional, and spiritual standpoint for the Lakota, but people should now realize that this isn't just mythology, but in fact, there, is, there was in place across the northern Great Plains a sacred hoop of the Lakota representing their connection with the land, which was very integrated within their, their life way. This is the sacred hoop, which is a common symbol found throughout history, around the world, in numerous cultures and traditions. And this appears to be the largest emplaced symbol 
on the Earth's surface anywhere. It's approximately 550 miles in diameter, and it is beautifully constructed exactly where these wheels need to be, in particular for an east-west alignment, to, to plot three points directly in a line over hill and dale and across rivers and up and over mountains in a beautif- beautifully straight line, prehistorically, naked-eye astronomy, with uh, uh, over time is a phenomenal feat, and uh, I, I suggest it's the greatest feat of engineering and surveying in prehistoric North America. Beyond that, then, I started to look into this circular symbolism, was finding various aspects of that in virtually all cultures, all religious traditions, ancient, indigenous, and modern, including Christianity, Islam, Hindu, Judaism, and on and on you find the same types of symbols. There are cultural uh, differences in the symbols specifically, but when you pull them all together, what I found, in fact, is they're all geometrical, two-dimensional aspects of a three-dimensional structure, and that is what I refer to as the sacred sphere. So the first half of the book demonstrates from culture to culture throughout time the same geometrical symbolism is coming up time and time again, and I was very curious as to why that that was. So the second half of the book goes into greater detail and goes beyond the cultural recognition of these symbols to look at worldwide and universally what appears to be uh, tying in our understanding consciously of the application of these symbols to represent sacred relationships and finding that indeed the same geometry is pervasive from the microscopic to the universal. So just a couple, a couple of things I'd like to, to ask you to expand on. So the 550 miles in diameter, numerologically, does that have some significance, that number? I don't think that has any any significance. Of course, the, the mile is an English unit of length and uh, isn't necessarily tied into some particular natural or universal unit of length. Uh, so I don't think that the 550 has has a significance. The total length may in some fashion have some uh, some interest. However, I would say that there is a definite connection between the size of this Cloud Peak Medicine Wheel, which is what I refer to this wheel in in Wyoming as Cloud Peak Medicine Wheel. The specific dimensions of that wheel strongly indicate that the dimensions that used to construct it, the lineal length of measure used to construct that wheel, is identical to the megalithic yard, which is commonly understood now, very well accepted, that the megalithic yard is a unit of linear measurement that was used for the construction of numerous megalithic structures found uh, throughout the UK and in Europe. I'm talking thousands and thousands of circular structures in particular, such as Stonehenge, but many, many, many more in Europe. And into Africa, this very same unit of measurement was used, and here we find the very same thing in North America, prehistoric North America. It's quite remarkable, isn't it, that these these measures and these structures are exactly the same all over the world in these ancient cultures? Well, it certainly suggests, and I outline four possibilities in the book for why this is the case, Uh, but I... I find that there must be 
that this unit of measurement, which is about 2.72 feet, the 2.72 not having any particular interest, but the actual length that that entails is important, and I believe it's, it's associated with a very natural phenomenon which any person around the world can come to realize that length for use. Uh, and it must have been recognized in ancient times as well as a few hundred years ago in North America for the Lakota when they constructed these wheels. Now, I haven't identified specifically what that natural phenomenon is. I have some ideas, but uh, it's probably not appropriate to, to cast them out and get people on the wrong track here. So I, with further research, I think I can discover what that is. But the major finding here is that this same unit of length is used between cultures and between time periods, uh, between people that had presumably no interaction whatsoever. So there's something that's connecting this together, and that has yet to be discovered. Yeah, and I've, I've had that discussion with a, with a few people on the show. Michael Tellinger was on a while ago, and he was part of the, I'm sure, the, the Africa connection you were speaking about a moment ago, and also Graham Hancock with the pyramids. And, and there's no doubt there was some, some, whether it was unconscious or conscious, but there was some connection going on in those times. Yes, and the, the interesting thing, too, is that when you look at these uh, uh, circular uh, dry stack wall structures, thousands and thousands of them in, in South Africa that Michael Tellinger is involved in, they are, they're circular structures, and they are very similar in construction as the temples uh, at Malta that Graham Hancock has been, been studying and, and discusses in his books. And these are the, sa- the, the geometry is very similar to structures that go back 12,000 years ago in Turkey at Gobekli Tepe. There's a reason why this circular structure, that particular geometry, is important. And what I propose is that it goes back to this sacred sphere structure that when you see a circle such as Stonehenge, a circular megalithic structure, the intent here is to recognize the circle, but in fact the symbolism is saying this is a... This temple, this structure is sacred and it represents a spherical structure whereby the stones at at, uh, uh, Stonehenge, for example, are are standing up straight. They represent the mid-portion of a a sphere. The earth itself becomes the lower portion of that sphere and, of course, the cosmic dome is the upper part of that sphere. So when one is within Stonehenge, you are within a sacred sphere uh, that is connecting the earth with the, the built environment, man's environment, who, uh, of course, we're trying to understand these, these connections between ourselves and the cosmos as above, so below. And you have the connection with the, with the cosmic dome and, and all of the heavenly bodies up there and relating that to time through periodicity of the, of the stars and the sun and the moon and so forth. I want to come back to this you, really important uh, connection think of on our return. It's Peter Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Be Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. 
Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenterJourney.com for more information. The new home for visionary positive change. 7th Wave Network. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. just want to remind you to go to my website, www.petertung.com, to tune into all of the good things that are there. I'm also uh, asking you to look into myheartcenteredjourney.com where we have our Ambassadors of Light program. We have uh, not got a show tomorrow because it's the American Thanksgiving. And by the way, happy Thanksgiving to all of our American listeners today and to you, Paul, as well. Thank um, you. And we are putting that off for a week until December the 1st when we're going to be talking about uh, energies of Sagittarius, the archer firing his arrow into the distance, into our real purpose and real reason for being here, as well as talking a little bit about the uh, reflections of the 11-11-11 and what that has uh, brought to, to my awareness over the last uh, week or so. So please do go to those uh, two websites, com and MyHeartCenterJourney.com. I have with me today Paul D. Burley, who's written a wonderful book called The Sacred Sphere. And just before the break, Paul, you'd started to go in a little bit to uh, talk about the sacred geometry of the circle and the fact that that circle in a two-dimensional way actually transforms into a three-dimensional structure when you when you bring some height into uh, the circle. So just continue with that a little bit. Sure. The the sacred hoop that is, is a common symbol for many uh, North American, uh, uh, Native American tribes and, and around the world in terms of ancient and indigenous cultures the basic uh, form of that in two dimensions is a circle with a cross within it, the, the middle of the cross being at the, at the center of the circle. And for the Cloud Peak Medicine Wheel that I was noting before, there's a cairn of stones right in the middle. And what I recognized was, and it shouldn't be too surprising, but there's no discussion of this in the academic literature, nor is there any discussion when I... I have inquired with archaeologists and anthropologists that this cairn of stones is telling us that there's a third dimension to that to that two-dimensional symbol laying on the ground surface. Now the and that's important be, because the uh, the four dimensions north, south, east, and west uh, can be related to four colors, four animals, four characteristics of humans, and, and so forth. But that is laying that, you know, essentially the groundwork with on the, uh, the plane or the sphere of the, the earth itself. But it's that third dimension indicated by that cairn that is telling us that this structure 
extends down into the earth and up into the cosmos, up to the Creator, and uh, down uh, into the earth as mother or a grandmother or Gaia or, or um, the. Uh, the mothership. There's different ways of looking at that. But this third dimension is very important. And again, when we look at circular symbolism in any culture, you can uh, look at your own traditions and certainly identify circular symbols that have sacred meaning in terms of relationships between people, the earth, uh, the cosmos, and the creator. You can pick any one of those that you like in terms of circular or cross structures and what I found is the geometries, the specific mathematical geometries of every one of those structures is a two-dimensional facet of this three-dimensional structure, this sacred sphere of nine specific great circles about a sphere. And these nine great circles are in a very specific pattern. Uh, one of them would be the circle that you can imagine on the ground surface, uh, and the other two circles would be this cross that, that is, uh, is centered at the middle of that circle. So if you can imagine taking that third dimension out of the center of the circle and rising it up and below, you can create a spherical form that will be composed of three great circles. There are other six circles that fit in there perfectly, two of these circles oriented each in the three different um, X, Y, and Z coordinates or uh, length, uh, width, and height, if you will, that form the nine great circles that then allows one to derive these two-dimensional symbols from. Now, this is curious because all of these circular symbols are all, rec all related to and describing these sacred relationships that I referred to between uh, people, the earth, the cosmos, and the creator. How can this be when cultures throughout time and around the world, many not having any uh, direct contact, certainly from a temporal standpoint over the course of thousands of years, and yet everyone, when they try to derive pictographic symbols, circular symbols being used in particular to represent these sacred concepts, the same geometry related to this sacred sphere comes up time and time again. I haven't found an instance where it's not the case. This is where the cosmic consciousness comes in, because if there's no contact between people, yet we seem to be uh, needing to uh, symbolize these relationships in a very specific pattern, there's something going on here that isn't just recognizable in our 3D environment here, uh, you know, sitting in place on, on the surface of the Earth. There's something else going on here. And I believe that it is related to cosmic consciousness or the human consciousness, the network of consciousness that is tied in with the, the rest of the universe. And I think that's because I'm discovering the same geometry pervasive throughout the universe. So this, uh, this sacred sphere, then, just to, just to encapsulate that fully as, a, as an actual structure, it's a sphere with these nine great circles going around it. Does that define another geometry within it? That that's interesting. This specific geometry. Once you come to comprehend these nine great circles, which are the skeletal framework for a sphere, but it's a very specific geometry. Once you start looking at virtually all other sacred 
geometrical structures, whether two-dimensional or three-dimensional, they are aspects of this geometry of the sacred sphere. Every one of them specifically fits within the geometry of the sacred sphere. And I mean uh, edges of the cube line up with edges uh, of the sacred sphere, as do the vertices and the, and the planes themselves, the six planes of the cube, match the geometry of the sacred sphere, as do all of the other, five, you know, the other four platonic solids. So all platonic solids associated with sacred geometry match this geometry as well, as so does the Vesica Pisces, as does virtually any other sacred geometrical structure that you're aware of, and to the best of my knowledge, fits the sacred sphere structure. So it seems to be the... Um, the origin, if you will, or the mother of all of these subsequent geometrical structures that, again, are held to have uh, sacred significance uh, to a variety of cultures. And how, and how does this fit when you go down into the um, minutest size, say, subatomic particles, and how does a sacred sphere operate there? Uh, interestingly, looking at electrons being the fundamental uh, 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 mass particle and uh, uh, photons as energy and electrons as a fundamental of, uh, of mass, both of those particles or waves, if you want to look at them from that standpoint, because they do seem to express a dual characteristic to them, but they're both essentially uh, uh, particles of, of energy their aspects in terms of their location, which can be estimated uh, using probability, a probability function, they appear to ha represent a spherical form and they spin. And when you have a spherical form and they spin, you begin to discover that you have the same dynamics occurring at all scales. So, for example, the Earth spins, the Sun spins, our galaxy is spinning, and as late as this last month, uh, NASA is discovering evidence to support a theory that the entire universe is spinning about a particular point or along a particular axis. That location is still to be determined, but at the time that I wrote the book and it came out in September, that information wasn't available, but now it comes to be that at all scales, from the subatomic to the universal, there is a common uh, aspect of energy and uh, matter that there is a spherical form that is fundamental at all scales. There's a spin that's involved at all scales, and therefore they are expressing fundamentally the basic aspects of the sphere itself. So this geometry, I suspect, even at the very fundamental submolecular standpoint, will probably be encountered at some point by science. Now, interestingly, the empty space is believed to contain uh, about 95% of all of the energy in the universe. We just can't tap into it as yet, but but it seems to have been identified by, by Einstein 100 years ago that this this void of space contains a great amount of energy. And of late, 
physicists are realizing that the geometrical aspects of this energy within empty space can be characterized geometrically by the same geometries that I referred to before. In particular, the seed of life, the flower of life, ultimately the tree of life. Those types of geometries, again, which people may be familiar with in terms of the five platonic solids and so forth, again, in two dimensions, we're finding those aspects of energy in empty space characterized by this geometry. And I believe that very soon, months, if not within the next year, scientists are going to realize that the three-dimensional fundamental aspect of empty space itself is this very geometry of the, of the sacred sphere that I'm describing for you for you now. So I, I believe that science and the sacred is about to con, conjoin here. There's going to be an intersect uh, very quickly, and when that happens, that's an exciting time because that is going to pull the, the, all of the theories of science and understanding of the universe together with sacred concepts that humans have been understanding for thousands and thousands of years. So, Paul, we're taking our second break there, but I, I will want to come back to this point on our return. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Having me today, Paul D. Burley, who's written a wonderful book called The Sacred Sphere, and Paul, just uh, let our listeners know how they can make contact with you or how they can get the book. They can uh, obtain the book through my website. That's uh, pauldburley.com. And they can find more information about the book and uh, uh, more about myself if they're, if they're curious about my, my history and why I've been uh, uh, doing this research uh, for a number of years. And there is a button that they can click to connect them with the uh, publisher's website uh, for purchase of the book. And that's uh, Paul D. Burley, B-U-R-L-E-Y dot com. That's right. Fantastic. So just before the break, you were giving us a really clear explanation of the sacred sphere, and I really appreciate that. 
what I'd like you to do now is to, is to, to make the connection really, I think, significant, probably the most significant thing in this, in, in the connection between what you called it, uh, in that segment, sacred relationship and the sacred sphere. So if you could talk about that, I'd be really appreciate that. Sure. The, the importance of the sacred in this geometry, as I understand it from, from my research, is going back to the two-dimensional symbols found uh, throughout the world, and, and there are hundreds of them that many include the circle as one component of these pictographic symbols. Others do not, such as the Christian cross. There's no indication of a circle associated with it, but one can take that that cross and rotate it to form a form a circular form. One can also emplace the cross within a circle and and derive uh, more uh, complex uh, symbols. But all of them are representative of specific sacred ideas, sacred concepts associated with relationships between people between people and the earth and the, the importance of that relationship in terms of the resources that we need to live, whether it be shelter, food, clothing, and so forth. Is all, all of it is derived from Mother Earth. So there's a sacred relationship that we have with earth, and that has been understood uh, around the world for a very long time. So that's an important relationship. Uh, the relationship between people is very obvious, uh, and the relationship subsequently, a realization that the cosmos can tell us something, that there is order to the cosmos. It's very specific order, and it appears to have a circularity, a periodicity that we can notice in, by the moon and the sun passing by uh, as it's perceived from Earth that there is a, a, a resemblance between what's occurring in the cosmos and what we see here on Earth. And so that connection is a sacred one and has been held to be so for thousands and thousands of years as recorded uh, by various historical records and, and the findings over quite a long period of time in terms of the, the culture of prehistoric man going back thousands and thousands of years. So we have a very sacred relationship between man and the cosmos. And then finally, the realization of the wonder of the universe, the wonders of what we have here on the, on the planet and the wonders of, uh, of ourselves and, and the intellectual and emotional capacities, the understanding of spirituality and the emotions that we have, uh, all being important and through which we can then communicate with the creator of this universe that there must be a source of creation. And all cultures have different ways of expressing that and understanding that relationship. But fundamentally, there's a, there's a general understanding there, that there is a creative process. And it may be a, in, in terms of understanding God as, as having somewhat human characteristics, someone who can uh, interact with, with us on a human scale, or purely physically in terms of the galaxy itself and the center of the galaxy being the, a black hole and the, the creating all of the matter and energy that we have now within the Milky Way, which is, is a fact that all of this matter and energy is derived from that center. Um, so one can look at, at God as being 
an inanimate uh, object if one wants to, but again, it, we come back to circularity and, and sphericity. And so this, there's an important relationship that has been understood for a long, long time between people and this type of geometry in terms of who this God, who this creator is. And this is found in, in virtually all cultures. So those are the four specific relationships, sacred relationships that are represented by this circular symbolism and other aspects of lines and crosses and dots that are associated in the various symbols. And again, the, the most fascinating thing then is, as different, as variable as all of these symbols are, they are specific aspects of this geometry of simply encircling a sphere with nine great circles and coming out with a very specific three-dimensional geometry that uh, I, as a, as a polygonal form of 48 uh, triangles is what you end up with when you cross these nine great circles in this form of a sphere. You end up with nine, uh, I'm sorry, 48 scalene triangles. And if they are indeed a flat triangular form, that structure mathematically is called a dystiacus dodecahedron. So a dodecahedron consists of 12 pentagons. But if you replace each of those pentagons with four of these scalene triangles, instead of 12 pentagons, you have 48 triangles. So this is still a dodecahedron, but it's a dystiacus dodecahedron. Okay? Now, if you take that dodecahedron and you shine from a light from the middle of it and express that form onto a spherical surface, you end up with what I then call a dystiacus dodecasphere, or the sacred sphere. So that is where this geometry is is coming from. It's it's a dodecahedral uh, space a shape, uh, but it has very specific characteristics. And the wonder is that all of these spherical symbolisms are can be derived from that three dimensional structure. I was I was awestruck when I came to that realization. And how does the uh, fourth dimension fit into this uh, symbolism? Well, the fourth dimension, oftentimes, um, it, of course, we're living in a three-dimensional world of space with, with length and width and height. Um, and, of course, the sphere is going to have those characteristics. The fourth dimension is often understood to be time. And I define time in the book as a recognition of two separate events occurring within a periodicity of a third event. So, for example, you see the sunrise one morning, 24 hours you see the sunrise again, and time is nothing more than the periodicity of a third event, that being the the hour hand of a clock rotating around uh, 24 times at a particular rate. So that, that is how time is defined by this periodicity of this third event, and we can relate two separate events, two different sunrises, by that third event. So that is how I define time. So uh, here we have a three-dimensional structure, the spherical structure, very specifically defined. The fourth dimension then being time, and time then is indicative of this change in events of the sphere, that being either a translocation, a movement from one point to another, or a rotation, or a combination of the two, which, uh, as everyone's aware, the Earth is moving through the universe, through space, around the sun, and the sun is moving in a particular direction. So, in fact, all the 
planets are moving around the sun, but also rotating in kind of a curly Q fashion as the sun is translocating from one point to another, as indeed the whole solar system is rotating around the galaxy. And there's a number of galaxies in our uh, local groups of galaxies, the Milky Way being one of those, that are also rotating about themselves, moving through the universe. So this idea of time is indicative of uh, movement, whether it's rotation or a translocation. And this is important because it's, it's understanding that there are separate events that are occurring. They aren't occurring all at the same moment. And this is where we, we can start looking at changes in time, the circularity of time, and the periodicity of events. And that is the fourth dimension that I think is key to understanding the importance of the sacred sphere. Now, there's been a tremendous amount of um, information coming out, some of it fearful, some of it wonderful, about December 21st, 2012. And I'm just interested in, in, in terms of your understanding of the sacred sphere and fourth dimension and time and how that fits into all of this. Well, of course, the, the, the Earth is rotating uh, once a day and rotating around the sun, and that comprises one year. So we're about to come up to within one year of time before December 21st, the uh, winter solstice of, of 2012. Uh, ancient cultures and numerous indigenous cultures have realized that this time is important in terms of moving from one world to another, not that there's an end and that we are about to terminate, see the termination of this earth and all life upon it, but that, that there's an expectation that there is going to be a transition from one phase to another, from which is the general understanding of moving from one world to another. We are about to step up in some fashion. Some type of a change is going to occur. So how does this relate to the sacred sphere? The sacred sphere, I, I can't tell you all of the meanings, the deep meanings at various levels that it is associated with. I believe it's a journey for everyone to be involved in and try to understand. And as yet, I don't think any human being has completely understood what's going on here in terms of these four dimensions and this, this spherical geometry, which is, seems to be pervasive uh, across the Earth. But from my standpoint, I believe that the sacred sphere is representative of this cosmic consciousness that we recognize, for example, ge specific geometries representing sacred ideas and that we are all connected to that same understanding. And that's evident by all of these uh, two-dimensional symbols all being used to represent the same ideas, the same sacred relationships, and that they're all then facets of this three-dimensional structure that upon movement, upon rotation, uh, introducing time into the equation, it becomes important in terms of the consciousness of human beings. So I believe that the sacred sphere, the way I understand it, an important aspect of it is that it's representative, it's a symbol in and of itself of human cosmic consciousness, this connection between each other and to the earth, to the cosmos, and to the creator, that this is the energy, it's, it's representing the energy, the resonance between ourselves and the rest of creation, the entire universe. The difficult thing that we have is making that connection. 
and I think that's where this other 95% of the energy within empty space is going to come into play. And we may learn more about that when scientists come to this realization of the importance of the geometry coming into play here. But I, I, something tells me that this is the direction that this symbol in itself representing sacred relationships is pulling all of those relationships together, pulling mankind together, all humans on this earth, relating them consciously, and there's going to be a movement from where we are to a greater consciousness and the ability to relate with each other and the universe in the, in the way that we were intended to, not in the way that uh, we are interacting with each other now and the social and economic problems that we have so pervasive across this earth uh, evidenced by the Occupy Wall Street types of phenomenon and all of the other social and economic problems that we have today, I believe that this consciousness, this reconnection with the universe and with each other is what this sacred sphere is indicative of. And I, I believe in my heart that that's why at this time I was coming to this discovery through paying attention and listening as I was requested to the idea being that this information needs to be out to everyone, that everyone needs to understand this connection, this realization in symbolical form of this, this consciousness that we all have, and that it is leading to the next world, which is something to be joyful of, to celebrate, to look forward to. So, Paul, we're coming up to our final break. That's a great time to break. It's Peter Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. 7th Wave Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Be Extraordinary. 7th Wave Network. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host Peter Tong. just want to let you know I've got a great December lined up for our radio shows. I was recently at the Science and Non-Duality Conference in San Francisco, and I have managed to get four guests from that uh, conference to line up for our Christmas gift for December with some really talented people, Peter Russell, Shauna Shapiro, uh, Florian Schlosser, Lynn McTaggart of The Field, and John Hagelin, who I think has the best description of 
consciousness and free energy, the very thing that uh, Paul has been talking about in that last segment and how we can work with those energies, uh, limbic targets of the, of the field as well. So um, it's going to be a great month. Uh, with some really, really powerful experts in their respective fields of uh, consciousness and spirituality. One of whom I have with me today, Paul D. Burley, has written a wonderful book called The Sacred Sphere. And Paul, I'd love you to go back uh, and talk a little bit more about the connection with the Lakota people and the significance of their uh, creation story and, and what is actually happening in your world today, if you will. Sure. Well, as, as uh, many people are aware, uh, the, the Lakota uh, stood their ground on the northern Great Plains about the incursion of, of the United States and, and the Euro-Americans in uh, the 19th century. And the, the population of the Lakota, like virtually all uh, Native Americans, they were decimated. Ninety uh, percent of the population across North America and beyond uh, were, were removed from the population as a result of the development that, uh, that occurred during the, the, between the uh, 16th and the 20th centuries. So the Lakota are, are no different in that regard, except they did put up a, a strong stance uh, battling against the United States uh, Army uh, in support of, of retaining uh, the resources on the Great Plains and that strong interrelationship that, that they have with the land. They are now and have been for over a century living on reservations, land that is uh, in generally uh, not very productive, certainly compared to other areas of the northern Great Plains. And uh, their economic status is dire. This is the, the Pine Ridge is uh, one of the poorest locations in the entire United States have very few resources economically. They, these people are, are decimated socially, economically, and uh, their, their heart is all but uh, taken out of them. But there is a core of spirituality. There is a core of strength that remains with the Lakota. And this I find very fascinating because when I... Uh, came upon the realization of this, the sacred hoop and placed upon the northern Great Plains in the fashion that it was, to the great scale that it is, it's very representative to me of saying who the Lakota people are, that at their core, at their very essence, at the heart of the Lakota is a very strong and a very proud people who have something to tell all of humanity about who we all are and how we can interact with each other. These were not these were not forceful fighting uh, Indians. These were very peaceful and loving Native Americans who uh, felt the wrath of another culture moving in and taking over the taking over the resources and placing these people on reservations, which is a very unfortunate circumstance. That's the reality that we have today. The interesting thing about my book, The Sacred Sphere. It, it appears to have, to have become a catalyst for the Lakota to realize that now is the time to be revitalized, to stand up on their own and show, show the rest of the world who they really are, that they have, they have great power in this world from a sacred standpoint. 
their language, the Lakota language, is filled with spirituality. Uh, English doesn't compare at all to when you look at the the wording, the phrases, the understanding, the connotation and denotation of the the words themselves and used within sentence structures, there is a very sacred power in their language, and this is something that has not been realized in the in the larger world in a larger context. But I believe that is it is about to take a stand, about to be a voice in the world, and help to carry this torch forward in terms of this conscious consciousness that is becoming pervasive across the world, the realizing of this higher consciousness that we're all becoming involved in, I believe the Lakota are a seed for this transformation to begin over the course of the next year, culminating in December 21st, 2012. In that regard, my book as a catalyst seems to be have taken hold, and it is the Lakota hope that this book becomes available to as many people as rapidly as possible so they have an understanding about what's about to unfold on this planet, certainly for the Lakota beginning on their reservations. But it, the process is going to be very rapid. And uh, I, I could not believe when I was on the reservation on Pine Ridge last week that this is what the leaders of the community uh, from uh, from the standpoint of spirituality and as well as as leaders as chiefs of the Lakota people, their intent of bringing this forward and the book being a way to get this information out to to everyone. I, I had no expectation that the information in my book would take hold uh, to this extent, but they have asked me to get word out, make the book available. And so I am charged with that, and I am going to move forward to the best I can with it. With that in mind, if I could, Peter, I, I noted where people can obtain my book through my website, uh, pauldeburley.com. If people would go to the website, they can click on the uh, button that takes them to the publisher's website for purchase of the book. If when they check out uh, in their purchase, there's a little box where they can enter a code word. If they enter a code word, listen, L-I-S-T-E-N, I've set up through the publisher for people to receive 20% off on the book. And if they're interested in more than one copy, uh, and hopefully people will take advantage of that in this holiday season, uh, if they enter the code word SPHERE, S-P-H, E-R-E, Sphere, then they can obtain 25% off with the purchase of two or more books. So, so I'm trying to get information out to make it as readily so available. I as want to thank you today for this wonderful discussion and the great book, and I'm so happy that you have been a catalyst and some hope for the Lakota peoples, and we really hope that uh, your journey together will be a prosperous one. And I must admit that pay attention and listen are two of my favorite expressions, too. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Peter. So my guest next week is Dr. Richard London, The Road to Yes, helping you in unraveling your unhealthy agreements and moving into your true real purpose on the planet, which is to be part of this grand awakening taking place. I hope you all take heart from today's show and from the work that we do in general. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Happy Thanksgiving. Have a wonderful week, and we'll be back with you next Wednesday. 
you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tong for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.